We but mirror the world. All the tendencies present in the outer world are to be found within us. If we change ourselves, the tendencies in the world will also change. This paraphrased quote from Mahatma Gandhi is the basis of the program you are about to hear. I'm Dedalian, and this is Shining Stars, a program dedicated to searching out and bringing attention to individuals and organizations that are fostering positive change within our community and within our world. Thank you for joining me here on Shining Stars. Today, I am pleased to welcome into the studio a gentleman who has created a unique resource here in Lansing. It fosters engagement, development, and opportunity within our community. He's a University of Michigan grad with a degree in statistics, and his resume includes a long list of everything from software development to food safety. Locally, he spent five years working with the Lansing Economic Development Area Partnership as a gatekeeper for the Business Acceleration Fund, an initiative that has given him a deep understanding of Lansing's entrepreneurial ecosystem. These days, You will very often find him on Eureka Street in an old repurposed church building known as The Fledge. He is the CEO and founder of The Fledge, and his name is Jerry Norris. Jerry, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I am really looking forward to this. Uh, For some reason, over the years... We have run in the same circles, but really never had the chance to sit down and kind of talk. So I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to it, too. So you are the founder and the CEO of The Fledge. On your website's mission page, you state that The Fledge works hard to have a zero barrier to entry, which I think is awesome. Take a little bit of uh, time to explain what that means and what the role of The Fledge is here in our community. Okay. So I think, you know, we say the term radically inclusive. And before I explain what that means to me, it is very, very fundamental to what we have always dreamed of doing. Mm -hmm. And it is a basic tenant that we've, since the, uh, the first inception of the Fledge, said we must be radically inclusive because our system works because of the diversity and the large crowds that we have that collide with each other and learn things from each other. So radical inclusion to us brings a very big brain to the table. And what we mean by that is, you know things I don't know, I know things you don't know. When you and I are together, our strength is in those differences that we have. And when you start adding three people, four people, five people, Mm -hmm. that just goes up exponentially. In fact, the factorials that will happen in these complex kind of crowds and relationships. And radical inclusion to me means if my back is to the door and somebody walks in and says, can I, I say yes as I'm turning around. I haven't heard the idea. I haven't seen the person. It is yes to every single thing that is asked of us. We are known as the yes place. Very good. And you seem to have a very, what do you call them? Clientele? What do you call them? Uh, Sometimes I just call them community members. Community members. Fledglings. Seems to be very diverse uh, as far as racially goes. Is it also age-wise? Yes. So we're like last night, for example, we had our pitch, our weekly pitch competition called 99 Problems, but a pitch ain't one. And a 30 something black male tied with a 10 year old uh, white male. And we had uh, about half female, half 
white versus half people of color in the competition. So, and I, I'm also proud our coding club records are the oldest person was 83, the youngest person was three. Very cool. Very cool. I mean, it's awesome that you're doing this. Is there a life motto, a philosophy, something that drives you to kind of do this kind of a thing? Yeah, I think that, well, I grew up in poverty, so I was born into poverty. Most people born into poverty stay in poverty for most of their life. And I had a series of kind of lucky events. I mean, it seems like my whole life was that privilege, the mm. the white privilege, you sure. know, where even though I was born into poverty, I had... Uh, a single mother who worked very hard for us. I had coaches. I was a wrestler. I had uh, teachers and mentors and people to look up to that kept encouraging me and teaching me and keeping me focused on the goal. And the goal was to get a wrestling scholarship and go to college and study computer science. As far as the basis of, of the Fledge, how did this kind of come about? The, give me the background. Well, I spent about 30 years traveling around the country, traveling around the world, really, uh, building software systems, working for different companies, building my own companies and selling them. And we were having a very big impact with this, this systems theory that I was developing throughout that entire time. And when I sold my last software company, I started another software company the next day mm -hmm. and getting ready to build that. And I realized, you know, Lansing, all those mentors, teachers, all of that, mm -hmm. that that's the city that raised me. We've been in persistent poverty since the day I was born, even before that. And I wanted to do something here. Mm. So I took everything I learned from all the places I was in the world. I was an auditor, an auditor for a quality management systems. <laughs> well, I was, I was reading through your resume there, and I was like, wow, this guy has done a lot of different things. It took you a while. It took so, you a while to focus in on this. I've been, uh, you know, I've, I've, for almost 20 years, I, every day was like how it's made, that show, mm -hmm. where they teach you how bread is made or teach you how, you know, wheels are made or whatever. So I got to see a lot of manufacturing. I got to see a lot of companies and businesses and how they operated. And the they always seem to force everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what the corporate world does. It forces everything. It, it creates timelines that are unreasonable, that stress people out for no reason at all. Mm -hmm. They try to control things that are not predictable, that aren't controllable. And we spend a lot of money, time, energy, and happiness you know, dealing with timelines right. and stuff like that. And I wanted to, throughout my whole career, create more autonomous systems that just kind of happened naturally. Okay. And I use a term biomimicry, where you basically ask the question, what would nature do? Mm. And I, I developed a lot of software based on that theory. I helped the Dubai municipality build their whole food safety system built on that. And it was very successful in the corporate world. And I wanted to try it in the community building world. And so mm -hmm. the Fledge really came out of, can I take these kind of global corporate concepts and apply them to a... I guess a community center, sure. that's what we've evolved into. I wanted to bring something special 
to community building. Uh, is this a concept that's unique to Lansing, or could you find this in other major U.S. cities? Well, I think we're starting to find glimpses of it, especially in the last few years. I think that, you know, what happened with COVID really made people have to step back and reevaluate a lot of things. What happened with George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd, really had people take a deep look at their fragility, their privilege, their, mm -hmm. you know, how how racist we really are. So I think the world caught up with us in a lot of ways um, over the last three years. But to, to answer your question, I guess in two kind of stories, the first story is the street nurses of, um, uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm losing the uh Vancouver. Okay. So the Vancouver street nurses, they created a basically a mobile lab where they went out into the streets and helped people help people that had substance use disorder. Mm -hmm. And they gave them, you know, Narcan, they'd test the drugs, they'd teach them even how to shoot up better, they'd do needle exchanges. And they made a movie called Bevel Up and they premiered it their Michigan premiere was at the Fledge. Mm -hmm. And at the end, we talked about that. And one of them said, there needs to be a Fledge on every corner in every city. Mm. And to that's, me, that's that, some validation right there. Yeah, I mean, they're they're famous for the work that they've done. They, they stopped the spread of HIV. They stopped the spread of uh, hep C. They got the uh, opioid overdoses in Vancouver down to zero. And, you know, I was so in awe with them that when they said that, I mean, I still, I'm almost tearing up right mm -hmm. now. Um, I still remember that. And then another thing is we're a regenerative community. And that means we're trying, you know, what would nature do? It never sits still. It's always trying to either grow, whether that's slow or fast. It needs to replicate so that it kind of lives on. And that came from those street nurses. There's 10,000 major cities in the world. We have an effort to create 10,000 fledges. We want one in every city. There was this guy who's been studying it for the last, you know, six or seven years. He moved back to Lansing because of, you know, he needed to be by his parents. He started Googling regenerative communities and some characteristics about it, mm -hmm. thinking he might be able to find one in Switzerland and be able to fly over there. Mm -hmm. And he rode his bike up to me and said, I can't believe you're three blocks from where I live. Mm -hmm. I've been looking for these regenerative communities, and you're the only one I've found so far. And he was doing a global search. And then I go to Los Angeles, my daughter lives out there, mm -hmm. and I'm trying to f kind of scope that out and see if we could create a fledge there. And I am finding pockets of people that do something similar, but not quite there and not quite as complete as us, okay. but the pockets are definitely growing. Very cool. I, I'm not even sure I need to ask this because I feel like any job, any and anything we do in life, you need some sort of understanding that you're making a difference. Can you share a personal story? But you're, I mean, you're listing it one after the other where I, I think you realize how much of a difference you're making. But can you give me something where maybe that first time where you went, oh, I really am making a difference? You know, I, th I think maybe the first time is when 
we were doing our coding clubs and we would have parents drop off their son and they might have the daughter with them and I'd ask would she like to stay for coding club and the mother would giggle and say oh no she doesn't write code she's a cheerleader and I would start to ask the girl then well do you want to come in and use the canvases and make some art and stuff like that and the mother would be at ease with that but once she got in there she really wanted to be in coding club right and to then see her three or four years later working in a STEM route towards what she's doing in high school, you know, that that felt really good. But you can jump all the way to kind of a different spectrum where, you know, I've administered Narcan five times now. Mm. So that's five lives that have been saved. Yeah. So that's that's very, very tangible. But having those relationships and inspiring people to do what we're trying to do, whether it's, you know, at an individual level or a, a organizational level has been very, very rewarding. And I, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, that I could list. I, I would imagine there is, but it seems to me that you are much like me where you find those personal connections. Those are the times that you find that, yeah, I'm making a difference and things are going well. This is good. Yes, yeah. is good. It takes more than just Jerry Norris to make this work. You've, you've probably got coworkers, volunteers that you work with. Uh, what, what's their role in, in your world? What the model tries to do is their role is to get back on track of what they were born to be. So we kind of have this hypothesis that we're born with a passion, and it might not be a passion to be a software developer, but it's a passion to be you know, focused on math and focused on systems and stuff like that. But throughout our life, we get knocked off tilt. It could mm -hmm. be the mother saying, you know, my daughter doesn't do code. It could be, you know, a father saying, no son of mine's going to be an artist. It could be failing a biology class. Mm. It could be all these different things that knock you off tilt. And then you scramble and you have to, you know, life is starting and you're 17 years old making these huge decisions. And you know, four or five years later, you realize you're not doing what you were born to do. You'd like to get back to that, but you have credit card debt and maybe you have rent and maybe you have a job that makes you live check to check. And, or maybe even worse, you probably in Lansing, if you're a single mother, you live in poverty, 50% chance of living in poverty. So there's a lot of obstacles that keep you from recalibrating. And what, what I guess I'm trying to do is say, come in here, try to recalibrate. It's a safe place. We're going to make it as free as possible. You can still keep up with your other, those obstacles as you need to, but come and do your thing. And I sit back and I watch 500 people a week doing something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's very chaotic. And most, you know, the corporations fight against chaos. They want right. to control everything. But to me, I'm floating down a river trying Embracing to get it. to the edge yeah. and instead of swimming upstream or swimming straight over to the side, I ride it out and I look for my opportunity and I take that opportunity when it presents itself. So we take chaos and disorder and wait for the 
order to emerge, and then we harvest that order. So I don't have a plan, really, for most days. I mean, I have to have a schedule so that I can show up to to your interview. Show up to a podcast, yeah. But I don't know what my day has in store for me. Uh I know that I've got some things that I need to get done in the next few days, and I'll work towards those, Mm -hmm. but they will absolutely be disrupted today, my plan. You know, Mike Tyson said everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, and that seems to happen every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love being a boxer, I guess. So I don't mind getting punched in the mouth. That's part of what keeps me moving. And one little piece of advice you had in there that I absolutely loved, uh, you, you kind of, it was kind of at the beginning there, but was the idea that very often our life does not go as planned. But there's usually something, some reason that that's happening. Um, I think that's what you were hinting towards. Am I understanding that correctly? Well, yeah. I mean, even those reasons, you know, if you go into the corporate world and you look at the problem solving models, they're going to tell you to do root cause analysis and get rid of the causes of those problems. But we live in a chaotic universe, a chaotic world, you know, where if two molecules are falling over a waterfall, um, the, they're not going to end up next to each other. Mm. So things are very sensitive to these initial conditions. So even when we do that root cause analysis, we're often wrong mm-hmm. because you would have said, why do, you know, why are we in poverty or whatever? Or why are there so many poor people? But then COVID hits and creates even more of them. Mm-hmm. And we didn't really predict that. Right. But we had to write it out. And so I think, you know, my advice there is live your life and you know, just like you should learn to learn, you should learn to be comfortable in the world where you can't predict things. Certainly. And I think that's very applicable. You know, we were started with the white male um, and realizing our privilege. I think that to decenter ourselves, especially as white males, we have to be uncomfortable. We have to mm. not be in control. We do not have to speak over people. We can listen to people. They can teach us a lot. And the more we decenter ourselves and just ride it out, the more fulfilling life seems to get. Yeah, it takes a little bit to get comfortable with that discomfort, too. I, I will add that in. Uh, you know, we, we, this has been a great conversation, and I want to keep it rolling a little bit longer, but I also want to help you kind of get the word out about the Fledge. So if somebody is a vol- wants to become a volunteer, become a part of what you're doing, what do they need to do? Well, there's uh, two main places that you can go. One is thefledge.com, and we have a get involved or volunteer uh, link there. Or we're very active on Facebook, so we put our volunteer opportunities there as well. I guess there's three things. You can also walk through the front door at any random time that you want. Add to to Jerry's chaos. And we'll figure (laughs) out something to do. But with the volunteering part, you know, that comes in two forms to us. Sometimes it's community service that somebody's ordered to do or they have to do for their honor roll or whatever. And it comes to people just wanting to get involved. And both ways, we really ask the volunteer what they want to do. It's not like, hey, this bathroom's dirty, go clean that. Certainly. It's more like, what's your passion? Do you want to volunteer in the music studios? Do you want to volunteer with the youth entrepreneurial Mm -hmm. program? Do you want to help us with our food production out in our, we call it an urban farm, but it's a community garden. I understand. I understand. As somebody that's worked with volunteers uh, for many, many years now, I 
that is definitely the best approach to what is your passion? What is it you want to do? And then help them to kind of get to that point. It's a learning opportunity for them. And at the same time, it's helpful to you. Uh, I believe that everybody needs a support staff outside of work. What's yours? Well, my family, first first and foremost, Mm -hmm. it's uh, my wife is the executive director of the Fledge Foundation, which is our nonprofit arm. And uh, my children, my my son lives here in Lansing. He has a great job, owns a house, all that stuff. My daughter's out in Los Angeles, so she gives me the excuse to be able to fly out there and visit her. Uh, I have another daughter who passed away about five years ago of a fentanyl overdose. So, you know, adding to the street nurses statement that, and the reason I tear up so much around that subject, uh, they're all, they all motivate me. They know when I'm, you know, kind of losing it. Like yesterday, my brain was just clogged with so many thoughts and I if we had this interview yesterday I'd be saying a lot of ums and huhs and uh (laughs) that's all right I I sometimes do that still to this day and I've been doing it for years and my wife recognized that and she snapped me out of it and you know it's it's that but it's also the community itself I I can't ever escape the fledge I can't get away from it so if I'm in my neighborhood on the south side People are still asking me fledge-type questions. If I'm, you know, probably go stand out in the front of the, the college here, people would stop start talking to me. Hey, your studio's still open. You're still doing shows, mm-hmm. whatever it is. So I don't really – I gave up on trying to separate work and life mm-hmm. because I can also leave at 2 o'clock and go have a drink with somebody or Certainly. go have a coffee or whatever. So I really have integrated – my community work, what we do at the Fledge, and my life in general, all together towards one mission. So Lansing's my support system. That's great. That's great. And and as we're talking here, I'm starting to kind of get a vibe of probably your perspective on it. But I'm always curious to know how people feel about positivity. And, And obviously, you've got your down moments. You know, you're like anybody else. Do you believe that it is more of a learned trait or skill, or do you believe it's it's a natural thing for people? Well, I think it's both. I mm-hmm. think that you can have a genetic disposition to it, and you can learn it. And I also think, you know, especially those two things go together a lot of times because the the generational trauma that some of us can have, you know, especially if you're a black, brown or poor person, mm-hmm. you know, that, that trauma your mother was feeling while you were in the womb is it passes on to you and you, you have these memories and these things that stress you out. And sometimes it's hard to be positive when you see such a dark, ugly, mean world around you. But at the same time, one of the things I suffered from depression, that's a whole different story back in my 20s. And I remember, you know, some therapy, a little bit of medicine kind of got me in the right mindset. Mm-hmm. But it took one single morning, I'll never forget it, where I looked in the mirror and said, I'm going to be happy today. And I've never looked back from that single moment. And you know, being, being positive, it, it just makes things happen. And the, and there's privilege in that statement, but 
the serendipity that comes around you, what you attract. Um, you know, people will try to veer away from the guy that's screaming in the middle of the street and that negativity is on that continuum. So to me, it's, it's the way you have to believe to really get through these tough times. And I know it's a big ask, and I know that I don't understand everybody's abilities there or what they're going through. But in the midst of a, a battle, the more positive and the more focused you can be on that positivity, okay. that's okay. where you're going to go. That's a good perspective. Uh, I'm talking with Jerry Norris from The Fledge. And if you don't mind, I'd like to continue this and do a second part of the, of the show. Uh, but before we go, I want to go ahead and ask you one question. And this is the question I ask of everybody that happens to be here on Shining Stars. If you had the ability to snap your fingers and put one thought into the collective consciousness of the entire human race at the same time, what would it be? The thought that I would want in everybody's your mind is for you to imagine a world where you are surrounded by people who are healthy and prosperous and educated. They are not worried about food, safety, shelter, security. They are thinking, you know, they've got everything covered. And what, how that opens up the conversations we have. We go from complaining about our roads and our politics and our government and the weather and all of mm -hmm. that into talking about ideas and solving problems and being innovative. So when the student loans come up, and you get all mad about it, think about the people who are going to start being just surrounding you. Their basic needs are going to be able to be met in yeah. a much better way. And look at all of the social programs that we have. They, they're not effective yet, but they're designed to surround us by people who have their basic needs met. And when that happens, imagine what us as a human race are going to be able to accomplish. Remember... We can all contribute something good to this world. No matter how big or how small, a simple smile or a friendly gesture is all it takes to expand positivity one inch further. Thanks so much for listening to Shining Stars and, of course, sharing your time with me today. I'm Dedalian, and you can listen to this episode of Shining Stars On Demand along with other LCC Connect programs at lccconnect.org. Featuring the faculty, staff, students, and others that help to make Lansing's premier college what it is today. LCC Connect, Mid-Michigan's connection to Lansing Community College. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. The Modern Warehousing Program through the Job Training Center at Lansing Community College is an industry-led program that prepares individuals for frontline material handling and supply chain logistics positions in medical centers, fulfillment centers, warehouses, and factories. Those who complete this program earn multiple employer-recognized certifications in six short weeks and get a chance to meet with local employers about their future. Visit lcc.edu slash training. 
Ranger Station, Ranger speaking. Hi. I'd like to report a bear hug. Uh, okay. Well, before I left my campsite, I was putting out my fire, and out of nowhere, Smokey Bear showed up and hugged me? So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. He likes it when people correctly put out their campfires. He's pretty big on wildfire prevention. He's just letting you know you did good with a uh, hug. He's a hugger. I just got a bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update! All right, I'm gonna let you go now. I've got uh, a lot of uh, ranger stuff to do. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Only you can prevent wildfires. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. On the success scenario, we meet and hear from current LCC students who face adversity why they chose LCC, and how they turned their situation into a successful one. Definitely now after second semester, my self-confidence is up there. I can do this and I can do this well. Age has nothing to do with it. Like I told you before, I have, the, I have notes from that first meeting and it was, take your age out of it. You deserve to be here. You belong here. I'm Dustin Abrego. The Success Scenario is a program dedicated to inspiring students towards a path of success. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime online at lccconnect.org. Lansing Community College's downtown and west campus offer newly renovated conference and event spaces that can accommodate over 500 attendees. Professional event planners are available to guide you through your experience from setup to catering. LCC offers convenient locations, state-of-the-art technology and hybrid meeting capabilities, in-house catering, free event parking, and on-site customer service. For more information about LCC's conference and event spaces or to request a rental quote, please contact LCC's conference services at lcc-events at lcc.edu. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Welcome to The Safety Plan, the show where I cover the latest cyber scam and how to avoid it on LCC Connect. Voices, vibes, vision. I'm Paul Schwartz, and I'm happy that you are here. Let's do this. This morning, my daughter was singing Dreaming of You by Selena, and now the song is stuck in my head. I guarantee you've heard of it. Late at night when all the world is sleeping, I stay up and think of you. And I wish on a star that somewhere you are thinking of me too. Cause I'm dreaming of you tonight till tomorrow. And so on and so on. But my kid was singing with, you know, cybersecurity words. Cause I'm dreaming of scams tonight till tomorrow. I'll be holding the criminals at bay. And there's nowhere in the world I'd rather be. Jeez, <laughs> oh, you know, obviously the college has allowed me budgetless artistic freedom on the show, and I will take advantage of that position. So welcome to the safety plan. Here's the format. First, I will describe a real world cyber scam like phishing or malware or the IRS imposter scam or scareware or one of the other many other cyber scams. And I will then explain why it could happen to you and finally how to protect yourself so it doesn't happen to you. So why should you listen to the safety plan episodes? First, as a leader, I want to share my cybersecurity knowledge with you so that you can hopefully learn and grow and become inspired by it. 
Second, a community knowledgeable on cyber scams will not fall for them in the future. And third, if people start practicing good cyber practices in their lives and at home, then they practice those same skills at work, which makes your company or business or local community college more secure. Win, win, win. Okay. So I'm Paul Schwartz. I work at LCC as the Director of Information Security. I coordinate security issues for the college, things like you know, investigations and vulnerability scanning of our network and implementing projects to improve the college's security and training users on cybersecurity. I've worked in cybersecurity for 27 years, including 20 years in the Air Force, before ending up at LCC. I show up to work sober and with my pants on, so people think I know stuff, which proves I am smart. S-M-R-T smart. Now, it's time for the cybersecurity roundup. Let's focus on today's topic, cyber hygiene. Cyber hygiene is the establishment and maintenance of an individual's online safety. It is the online analog of personal hygiene and encapsulates the daily routines, occasional checks, and general behaviors required to maintain a user's online health or security in this case. And so why should you have good cyber hygiene? In today's high-tech environment, organizations are becoming more and more dependent on their information systems. The public is increasingly concerned about the proper use of information, particularly personal data. The threats to information systems from criminals and terrorists are increasing, and many organizations will identify information as an area of their operation that needs to be protected as part of their system of internal control. So what do you have that someone would want? So bad guys want your information, your social security number, your credit card number, your driver's license numbers, your birth dates, your passport numbers, your financial accounts, your balances, your bank account information. They want access to your systems also so they can then launch other attacks from your resources. And they also want your company's intellectual property, you know, those, those secret formulas to, to the products that uh, your company makes. Because you have this valuable information, I need you to do some basic cyber hygiene measures to protect yourself, to keep yourself from not being the low-hanging fruit where attackers pick on you and steal your information. So here's the first thing on cyber hygiene that I need you to do. Password or PIN or thumbprint protect your devices. Okay, so you have these, you know, let's say a laptop or a smartphone. If a criminal were to get a hold of it, say you left it on the train or in a cab, which we've had employees at our college that have done this, the criminal will open the thing up and turn the power on. And if they're able to just get right into the device, that would be really bad because they would have immediate access to your data. So if you password pin and thumbprint it, that will be at least one level of security. Well, they'll need some more information to get further into the device. Now, the second thing on cyber security hygiene is to encrypt your device. So on um, with PCs, they have BitLocker, and on Macs, they have FileVault. And on your smartphones, it tends to be nowadays where it's automatically encrypted, but sometimes you have to turn it on. So encryption on the device, so let's say the criminal, again, gets a hold of that laptop that you've left on the train, opens it up and and it initially gives you that, you know, the initial pin. Uh, they're able to get around that unless the rest of the device is encrypted. So this is scrambling the data, you know, through software. So only if the person has the correct, you know, password or pin to get into it will it 
unscramble all the rest of the data. So if the criminal ha- gets a hold of it and it doesn't have that password or that pin, it can't. the criminal won't be able to see any of the information on it because it's all encrypted. Now, third, the third step for cybersecurity hygiene is to install, use, and update antivirus and anti-spyware software on your device. So on PCs, typically you have a you know, Windows 10 operating system, which comes with the free Windows Defender. On Macs, they don't have antivirus software by default installed, but you can get free AV software like Sophos Home or Avast antivirus. Uh, similarly, on smartphones, it's not a default load, but there's free antivirus that you can put in smartphones like Kaspersky's uh, mobile antivirus or Tread Micro mobile security or Malwarebytes mobile security. Some of these are free products that you can put. Um, so this antivirus is kind of basic level software that will detect when uh, malware or malicious software has been loaded on the device and will then quarantine it or delete it off um, the device. Now, the fourth thing uh, for computer security hygiene is to install the latest software updates. So make sure your web browsers and your browser plugins, as well as your operating systems and all your applications all have the most up-to-date software. And you can do that by you know, enabling, you know, future automatic updates or um, visiting the websites to make sure the, the, the software is at the, the latest patched level. This is because criminals, when they do, um, you know, vulnerability scanning of your device, let, and, and they can do that by you just visiting any malicious website. Um, it will immediately send communications to your device looking for flaws, looking for software that's not patched or up to date and be able to leverage those gaps to take over your device. So that's the fourth thing that you should be doing to have good basic cyber hygiene. Now, the fifth thing is, is to wipe your device before selling it or recycling it or donating it. And there's some websites if you Google, you know, how do I wipe my device for your PCs and your Macs or smartphones. But you want to delete all the content off your device before you give it away or sell it. Um, You know, so the person buying your device won't have access to that data. Okay, the next one is to remove unnecessary software on your devices. So you have applications perhaps on your laptops or your smartphones that you're not using anymore and and haven't for years to minimize your attack surface to hackers you should delete all unnecessary software and probably the unnecessary software hasn't been patched and has vulnerabilities that attackers can leverage so remove all those by deleting unnecessary software The next thing for basic cyber hygiene is to enable and configure a firewall. And on the PCs and and the Macs, they have uh, firewall settings, and you can search for them on your computer where you can enable the firewall. Now, the firewall is another defense and depth layer of security, and it prevents unnecessary traffic getting to the device and makes it, it would block unnecessary traffic and allow appropriate traffic. So another great security measure. And next, you should routinely, I'd say at least monthly, back up your data to external media, say a, a thumb drive or external hard drive. So you want to keep a copy of your files that you've backed up in a different location than your, say, your house or apartment. In case it burns down, you'll have those backed up. And if you store files on thumb drive or local hard drive and that gets infected with malware, then you have a way to recover those files if they're backed up. 
And finally, and this is maybe a bigger one, I need you to practice safe computing. So, for example, I, I don't want you opening unsolicited attachments or following, you know, unsolicited links and email messages. You need to use caution when downloading files and browse wisely by, you know, avoiding suspicious websites. And I want to get into this practice safe computing because this is kind of a large area of basic cyber hygiene. So the first part of that is recognition of phishing and email borne malware threats. And uh, phishing was covered in episode one of this podcast. Don't let phishing give you the hook. But I want to go into it a little bit further here. Um, do you know that 91% of all hacking attacks begin with a phishing email? Fraudsters send fake emails or set up fake websites that mimic you know, your organization's sign-in pages or the signing pages of other trusted companies such as eBay and PayPal and Office 365. And they're trying to trick you into disclosing your username and password. The practice is called phishing, which is a play on the word phishing because the fraudster is phishing for your private account information. And other fraudsters are trying to get you to visit malicious websites or open a malware infected attachment. So once they gain access. They can use your personal information to commit identity theft, you know, charge your credit cards or empty your bank accounts and, you know, read your email, lock you out of your accounts by changing your password. They will take control of your computer and then start scanning the network and then perhaps join a botnet or sit and listen for your keyboard activity, wait for you to type in your passwords or your bank account details or your credit card numbers, and then steal those. So there's phishing red flags that again, I covered in episode one, but in, in general, a phishing red flag should be if you're not expecting the email. That's the first one and most important one. You should really have your suspicions raised when you weren't expecting an email and you receive it. And let's say the email is sent by an unfamiliar sender with, you know, an unsolicited, uh, you know, maybe an attachment or link. Or let's say the sender asks multiple times for you to open the attachment or the link. And then the link's you know, if you hover over them and you see where they're going, maybe they don't go to a, a familiar domain. You know, say FedEx sends you an email, but the domain is, you know, it's something you don't recognize, like, you know, malwaresite.com. You know, you, you should definitely not go to that. And if the emails contain poor or inconsistent grammar, it could be a red flag for a phishing email. Another sign of phishing emails is if the email is sent to you from a free email account, say Hotmail or Yahoo or Gmail, you know, legitimate businesses won't use free email accounts to contact you. Or And here's another big one. If there's no contact information in the email, so there's no way to call uh, or contact the sender to verify the email's legitimacy. Now, in the big picture, it's okay to open emails, but when you open attachments or links or enable macros or enable pictures to be downloaded in the email program or enter passwords that are provided in the email for an encrypted attachment on the email, these are all things that are red flags and could get your, you know, your computer or your device infected. Here's another kind of trickier, more in-depth phishing technique is when the criminals compromise an account and then hijack the conversation. So they go through and look at the emails and then start responding to some of the emails in the compromised account. And hackers do this because they see a jump from 16% response to about 75% response when the attackers use an existing communications um, in, a, in an email. And so that's really increases their chances of infecting you and getting you to provide personal information. 
Um, when, when we look at those links and those attachments, it's very important if you don't or weren't expecting them and find them to be suspicious to run them through a program like VirusTotal.com, which could scan through those links and attachments and let you know if they're safe. And the bottom line is when in doubt, throw it out. You should know not to open suspicious links and emails and tweets and posts and online ads and messages or attachments. So when in doubt, if you're suspicious, throw it out. Okay, the next step on practicing safe computing is to never send a social security number or credit card number via email. Okay, first, social security numbers and credit card numbers, these are personal identifiable information. It can be used to steal, you know, your identity. And if if stolen, the criminal could, you know, take out loans or start a loan, you know, get a driver's license, file a bogus tax return. All right, the second thing with emails is that they are unencrypted. So anyone with an ac- with access to any spot on that email's path can load, you know, a free sniffer and capture all the information. So this means that you should assume your email is being searched and saved by the bad guys. It's the equivalent of entering your social security number or credit card number into an unencrypted HTTP website. Or how about this? It's the equivalent of mailing your information on a postcard. So when you put your social security number or credit card number in an email, think of it as mailing a postcard and you're writing it on there and dropping it in the post office box and anyone can see it. Uh, after it's picked up. There are a number of solutions to minimize the risk of sending social security numbers and credit card numbers. You know, you can do it snail mail, you know, or hand delivery, or even fax are better options with lower chances of exposure to criminals. If you must email the information, here's a few options. So you could put the information in a, you know, in a Microsoft Word or Excel spreadsheet and then encrypt those and then email the encrypted documents and then follow it up with a separate channel and sending the password to the recipient. You could also use a program like a free, uh, you know, file encryption tool like 7-Zip to do that same encryption. But you want to separate, you know, the confidential information encrypted from the password and then pass those both to to the recipient. Now, another bad practice of cyber security hygiene is password reuse. And to combat that, you need to use a password manager. And this was covered in a previous password episode of mine. So more than 60% of people reuse the same password for everything. And I bet you you probably reuse your password between your work, your bank, your home email, your credit card. That's not, not a great idea. Once a hacker gets a hold of one of the breached accounts, they run a five-second script to try your password against all major banks and credit cards and social media accounts and so forth to see if they can further steal your info and your sweet, sweet money. But how do you remember hundreds of unique passwords. Well, the good thing is I'm going to go with good, better, best. So this is increasingly going to be more appropriate. The first one, you could write down your passwords on a piece of paper and save it in a locked office drawer, you know, when unattended. So you write them down. That's the a good thing to remember hundreds of unique passwords. A better way would be to keep your passwords uh, on, you know, in a, in a, say a Microsoft Word document or Excel spreadsheet, and then save those to your computer or a thumb drive. And then for for Word and for Excel, you can enable encryption and password protection by doing that file, info, protect work document or, or workbook. And then when you open up the file, it'll 
ask you for that password and then decrypt that file. So that's a good, very simple password manager. It's just a Microsoft Word document that's been encrypted. The best way is to use a specific password manager program. And there are free ones out there um, that's made to store passwords. Uh, uh, one free one I recommend is KeePass. Um, it's, it's available at keypass.info. And that way, this program stores all your programs. It's encrypted, and you use one password to get into the password manager. And then that way, you can store hundreds of unique passwords without remembering them. They're all written down. You just go open up the password manager when you need to reference that password. Okay, the next thing on cyber hygiene is physical security. So mobile devices like laptops and smartphones are the ones that are very often the target of thieves, not only because they want to resell the device, but also because they know the data on those devices can be far more valuable. So here's a couple of tips on how to protect a mobile device. Mobile devices should never be left you know, unattended or even in a car because thieves can see those through the windows and you know, bash out the windows and take the mobile device. So they should never be left unattended in public places like conferences or you know airports, restrooms, public transportation, and so forth. The devices should be kept with you the whole time or stored in a facility with no public access, such as a room in an office and that's locked when, when no one is present. Next on physical security is never pick up a USB device that's, you know, that's unfamiliar to you, such as laying in a parking lot or just mailed to you randomly in the mail and then connect them to the computer. Criminals are known to put malware on those devices. And as soon as you connect them to the computer, it spreads the malware and infects your device. They did a study, uh, some security researchers did, I think at the University of Illinois, where they dropped USBs in the parking lot, and 45% of those USBs were found and plugged into computers and continued the infection. So if you come across a USB that's you know unfamiliar to you, you can use a computer that has been backed up, insert the USB, and then run an antivirus scan on that USB to make sure it's clean before you use that USB any further. Now, the next thing on Good cyber hygiene is to be suspicious of public Wi-Fi. You probably assume that your, you know, your local coffee shop is responsible for the security of their Wi-Fi. Well, this is wrong. Your coffee shop is merely providing free Wi-Fi to get you into the store and drinking their delicious peppermint white chocolate mocha. The big thing there is that you need to be responsible for security. It's not the coffee shops or someone else's job for your cybersecurity. You need to be responsible for it. And so you need to know how to protect yourself from it. So first, 89% of all public hotspots are insecure. And this means that someone who knows what he or she is doing could use a, you know, a sniffer to gain access to the information sent through wireless connections that you've established. So if you find yourself in a coffee shop or doctor's office or wherever, Wanting to join the free Wi-Fi, I recommend you do these things. Assume all Wi-Fi networks are suspicious. So you need to verify the Wi-Fi name with the office or restaurant that's providing it. Never leave your device unattended, not even for a moment. You may come back and see your computer where you left it, but a thief may have installed a keylogger onto it to capture your keystrokes. And you should only use public Wi-Fi for quick browses only, such as, you know, wikis or Googles. Do not email messages of sensitive or serious nature while connected to public Wi-Fi. And, and do not ever file share. And if you must log into a website, make sure it's secure, you know, with that HTTPS. Uh, 
throughout the, the browser session. And if available, use two-factor authentication for the login and the password access to sites with confidential info. Okay, the final thing I wanna cover is kind of a large one, but it's on social networking. And here's some stats that I just recently uncovered. 68% of people with public social media profiles share their birth dates. 18% share their phone numbers. 12% share their pets' names. And 63% share their high school names. Now, this is all personal, identifiable information that is that sometimes is used in password recovery security questions. So how much information do you share on social networking sites? A common way that hackers break into accounts is by clicking the forgot your password link on the account login page. And to break into your account, they search for answers to your security questions, such as your birthday, your hometown, your high school class, your pet's name, your mother's middle name. I bet you also reuse your security questions, much like password reuse between lots of internet sites. So if one of those sites gets compromised, then they have the answers to your security questions that you've, you've used at other sites. I recommend limiting the amount of personal information that you post or share. Do not post information that would make you vulnerable, such as your address, your phone number, your social security number, you know, other personal identifying information to include information about your schedule or your, or your routine. If your connections post information about you, make sure the combined information is not more than you would be comfortable with strangers knowing. Also, be considerate when posting information, including photos about your connections. So here's some kind of high-level social networking tips. Remember that the internet is public and permanent. Only post information you are comfortable with anyone seeing. This includes information and photos in your profile and blogs and other forums. Also, once you post information online, you can't retract it. Even if you remove the information from a site, saved or cached versions may still exist on other people's machines. Even if you delete the account, you don't know if someone has already printed or copied your text or photos off of it. The next thing is be wary of strangers. The internet makes it easy for people to misrepresent their identities and motives. Consider limiting the people who are allowed to contact you on these sites. If you interact with people you do not know, be cautious about the information you reveal or agree to meet them in person. Be skeptical. Don't believe everything you read online. People may post false or misleading information about various topics, including their own identities. This is not necessarily done with malicious intent. It could be unintentional, an exaggeration, or a joke. Take appropriate precautions, though, and try to verify the authenticity of any information before taking any action. Do you really know if a profile is real and not fake? If you suspect that a message is fraudulent, use an alternate method to contact your friend to find out. Only friend people you know in the real world. So you're only going to friend or connect with people you know in the real world. So evaluate your settings. Take advantage of a site's privacy settings. The default setting for some sites may allow anyone in your profile, but you can customize your settings to restrict access to only certain people. There is still a risk that private information could be exposed despite these restrictions, so don't post anything that you wouldn't want the public to see. Sites may change their options periodically, so review your settings and privacy settings regularly to make sure that your choices are still appropriate. All right, the next thing is to be wary of third-party applications. Now, these third-party applications may provide entertainment or functionality but use caution when deciding which applications to enable. Avoid applications that seem suspicious and modify your settings to limit the amount of information the applications can access. Okay, the next thing is to check the privacy policies. And you could also turn off GPS functions on your smartphone camera. 
And finally, close old accounts that you don't use anymore. Now, I want to go a little bit into this. So don't risk leaving personal data in an old account, such as like a MySpace page you haven't used in years, or an online dating site you no longer need. Instead, close the accounts you don't use and delete as much personal information from them as possible. Well... That's a wrap of today's Safety Plan episode. If you have questions or have been a victim of cyber scam, please tell me about it by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu. Or you can find more info and past episodes of the Safety Plan at lcc.edu connect. This episode of the Safety Plan was recorded by Paul Schwartz in the TLC Tower in downtown Lansing Community College and produced by Lane Ingram and engineered by Big D Didet. I'm Paul Schwartz, and this is LCC Connect. Voices, vibes, vision. So long. Keep connected with LCC Connect at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices, vibes, vision. Lansing Community College welcomes transfer students. Transfer students may apply transfer credits towards their LCC degree, certificate or transfer program. Learn more at lcc.edu slash you belong. When you need to check the weather forecast, make restaurant reservations, or avoid rush hour traffic, chances are you turn to your smartphone for real-time information and up-to-the-minute help. Imagine a smart city that would keep the buses running on time. Manage the use of energy to prevent brownouts and schedule on-time repair of an aging infrastructure. It's all part of putting the power of information to work for you in giant leaps compared to your smartphone's baby steps. Planners are making cities smart today and even smarter tomorrow, delivering the services you need and creating the communities you want. To learn more about smart cities and work with the folks who are putting the power of information to work for you, go to planning.org. That's planning.org. A message from this station and the American Planning Association. Lansing Community College students now have the option to go beyond an associate degree through LCC's University Center. The University Center is a partnership between LCC and five four-year universities. Located on LCC's downtown campus, these universities offer junior and senior level courses, leading to more than 30 bachelor's degrees, several post-baccalaureate certificates, and options to obtain a master's degree. Current and former LCC students can take advantage of the convenient location at the corner of Capitol Avenue and Shiawassee Street on LCC's downtown campus. Find out more about the University Center. Visit lcc.edu. LCC Connect Voices Vibes Vision. Welcome to the Star Zone, a program dedicated to highlighting the services and resources available to students at Lansing Community College. I'm Rhonda Miller, Dean of Student Affairs. Now let's find out what's in the zone, the Star Zone. Hi, I'm Lisa an academic advisor here at LCC. Academic advising is an integral part of a student's college career. Advisors are here to help students define and achieve their educational goals and provide information, encouragement, and advice for making good academic decisions. We listen to concerns and ask questions to help you through the entire process. 
academic advising is also confidential. We're here to help. It's what we do. When a student meets with an academic advisor early and throughout their academic career, they tend to save time as well as money. We'll work together to establish a plan to help students reach their goals. Come see us. You can work with an academic advisor in person, over the phone, via web chat, or even by virtual appointment. Go to lcc.edu slash advising to learn more. Thanks so much for listening. Once again, I'm Rhonda Miller, and I invite you to find out more about the other features of the Star Zone by visiting lcc.edu slash in the zone.